reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Amen. Thank you guys so much. <clears throat> While wow, looking up here at that search team, man, I would trust my life with that crew. Uh, thank you for the way you guys prayed discerned, and Anna, we are so thrilled to have you here. Uh, look forward to working with you many years uh, to come. Uh, it was about six years ago, I told you a story, and I try to not retell stories all the time, yet I thought it was fitting today. Uh, it was a story about when I uh, went to swim lessons uh, a while back. Um, <clears throat> I went to, went to swim lessons, and, and the way it worked is you are taught how to uh, breathe underwater how to swim uh, laps and, you know, doggy paddle and all that to keep your head above water. But, but at least the swim lesson I went to, like the, the graduation the last day was you went off the high dive. And when you went off the high dive, you were handed a certificate that you graduated from swim lessons. So uh, I, was, I remember being there and I was in my uh, Superman Speedo. I had my floaties on. Uh, and I had done everything except the high dive. And I got up there and my mom and family and People were cheering me on from the side, and I remember, uh, I, I, you know, I probably strutted down that, that, you know, walking down, like, I'm about to do this jump, and I got to the edge, and I freaked out. Because I could even see the instructor in the water who was going to catch me, and I knew the instructor was there, but what looked like five feet from the side, once you get on it, it felt like, you know, I was jumping off a skyscraper or something. And I turned around to walk off, and everybody kept cheering for me, so I walked back to the edge, and that's when I heard my mom yell, you know, hey, you're 17, Josh, you can do this, all right? Uh, I, really, I really wasn't 17. Um, and I took this plunge, and I jumped, and I graduated, and I got my certificate. And I've seen people, when it comes to Jesus, I've seen people take plunges like that, where, where the moment they hear the gospel or God moves in their life and they're ready to give their life over to God, it is this plunge. And they just jump and they go all in. It's almost like whenever you jump off a cliff or you jump off a, a diving board at a certain height, like there's, you can't help but go all the way under. If you jump off anything from 15 feet or above in the water or 10 feet and above, I mean, there you can try to walk on water as much as you want, but you're going all the way under. Yet I know some of you, your story in the coming of Jesus was a little different. I mean, you, you kind of put your toe in for a while, and you would get in knee-deep or waist-deep, and you were asking questions, and you were seeking, and you were searching and wondering, if, like, what's this going to mean for you, and what's it going to do to you? And you went, you went differently. But I know that when Jesus invites us into relationship with Him, at some point what Jesus wants is for you to take the plunge all the way in. Not knee-deep, not waist-deep, not neck-deep, all the way in. So I want to preach a sermon on baptism today. And even the title of it, if you see it on your bulletin, is Baptism, Why Bother? Now here's the deal with sermons on baptism, because I know some of you in here have heard more sermons on baptism than you could even count. 
And the thing is, is uh, one thing I love about Sycamore View right now, and Hinkle mentioned it a minute ago, I mean, we are more diverse than ever. And when I say diverse, I'm not just talking racially, uh, but as he mentioned, uh, uh, we're all over the place on um, socioeconomics, on the social class. We're all over the place when it comes to theological background. Some of you are here in your history your background is with Churches of Christ. Some of you, this is the first Church of Christ you've ever come into, and you don't know much about who Church of Christ are or uh, what these people are about or where they come from. came from. Every Christian group, except a branch of the Quakers, practice baptism. The, the word is in their vernacular. It's in the vocabulary. It's something they practice in some form. Our formulas may be a little different. Our practices may be a little different. But today I want to talk about something that shows up in the New Testament over 70 times. Something that's really important to discipleship and transformation and to the heart of God. And I know some of you, um, you have heard sermons about conversion in the past. And sometimes those sermons didn't even mention Jesus. I've seen tracks that people could read on how to, to, uh, how to be saved, yet the word Jesus never showed up in there. It was about uh, repenting of your sins, believing in the Bible, confessing, uh, uh, being baptized, and, and you read those, and the word Jesus doesn't show up. When I preach the sermon today, I hope that by the end you're able to think and know and go out declaring that, you know what, I think Jesus was like the hero of why we got together today, because it, it's all about him. With that said, can we pray? Father, for what has already been a great morning, it's good to be together with family and friends, and there are some faces here that I've never seen before. I'm grateful for them. Uh, God, I, I surrender my will. I surrender everything I would like to accomplish this morning in this sermon, and I surrender all of that to your will. Uh, God, I'm fine if people go home from here not remembering who I am. But I want them to go away remembering how great Jesus is. So if I say anything this morning that isn't true, that doesn't honor your heart, your word, your mission, your nature, I pray that those words will fall to the ground and that they will bear no fruit and those words will not be remembered. But if I speak truth this morning... I pray that those words will sink deep into hearts and that they will bear great fruit and establish roots to the glory of your name. And the church said, amen. There was a Mother's Day a few years ago that the week before, there was a mom who had a teenage daughter, and they came to visit with me. And uh, this teenage daughter had witnessed her parents go through a really nasty divorce, and she was, she was a bitter girl. She was so mad at the world. She was mad at people. She didn't trust others, but she was also very vulnerable. She was easy prey for other teenage guys. Like she was reaching for affirmation in all the wrong places. Yet God began moving in this girl's heart, and she was asking questions about what it meant to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And I remember just before Mother's Day, I sat down and I visited with this mom and with this teenage girl, and we opened up the Bible and we studied together and she said, um, she got to a point where she said, I want to be baptized, but I want to wait until Mother's Day. And I, I said, oh, that, that's great, we can honor that, but I'm just curious, like, why? And she said, well, my mom was there when I was born into the world, and I want my mom to be there when I'm born into Christ. And then they called me up like an hour later, and they said, hey, we've never seen this done before in church, but the mother said, can I be in the water 
when my daughter is baptized. So I asked the elders. I was like, well, I don't think that'll be a problem. The Bible doesn't say much about who can be and who can't be in the water. But let me just run this by the elders because it's never been done before. And anytime something's done in church, it's never been done before. Everybody needs to watch out, right? And I talked to the elders, and they didn't really have a problem with it. And, And I mean, how can you argue with even a mom who says, I was there when my daughter was born into the world. Why can I not be right there with her when she's born into Christ? So on Mother's Day, I got in the water with this girl. And as I baptized her and I brought her out of the water, I lifted her out of the water and she came right into the arms of her mother. And it's a Mother's Day moment like I, that is photographed in my mind forever. Uh, as I unpack and talk about baptism this morning, you may be thinking, I've already been baptized, this sermon's not for me. And I hope there are some people in this room who have never been baptized, and this sermon is for you. But what I want everyone else to know is the way the New Testament talks about baptism is that messages about baptism aren't just for those who haven't been baptized. It's for those who have. That what it means to live and reflect and respond from our baptisms and how we live the rest of our lives, it it causes us to constantly reflect on these moments when we've died with Christ and when we've been raised a new person. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to just read some scripture to you and for you and over you. You can see it on the screen. You can write these down. Uh, I don't know if you have a time to take quick pictures of the screen, but I just want to go through these. Now, I'm hesitant as a preacher to do this a lot where I just grab verses and throw them in front of you because you deserve to have a preacher who's not just cherry-picking and grabbing things out of context and tossing it in front of you for the sake of trying to make some point. Like, Whenever I stand up before you, I want you to know I did the hard work of taking a verse and trying to keep it in context to honor how the Word of God functions. So I'm putting a few verses in front of you today that talk about baptism, trusting that if these move in your heart, that you'll go and you'll read the rest of the context, and I hope I can put some of this in context for you today. But look, just let the Word of God speak over you today. In Matthew chapter 28, it says this, And Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, right there, keep in mind, the direct object, and you were taught direct object back in, back in school, all right? The direct object of the Great Commission is disciple-making. That everything that happens in the Great Commission is about making disciples. So go and make disciples of all nations, or make nations into disciples, and then you baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So as the church goes out to make disciples, baptizing and being taught the things of God are part of that. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And Jesus said to them, go into the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. And the one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 is like the, the key verse of Church of Christ people, right? But, but the verse before and after, now when they had heard uh, this, they were cut to the heart. It had been a sermon by Peter. And they said to Peter, and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far away, which is all of us, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Acts chapter 8 verse 12. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And Acts chapter 16 verse 14. 
It says, a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us, and she was from the city of Thyatira, and a dealer in purple cloth, a woman with power and influence and wealth. And the Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, he, he wrote, And baptism, which this prefigured, he's talking about the Noah story and the flood, it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, a clean conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, In him also you were circumcised with the spiritual circumcision by putting off the old putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And lastly, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection like this. And for the reading of the word of God, the church said, Amen. Let me talk to you about a couple of things, and then I just want to give you four things about the power and the significance of baptism. If you're taking notes, I want to mention just for a moment the word covenant. Now, covenant's not a big word we use today. It's not, and it's, and it's a shame. This is a word that we should never lose the significance of. Back in Genesis chapter 15, you see God make a covenant. Whenever you see make a covenant in the Old Testament, it could also be translated cutting a covenant. And God's the one who formed the first covenant with his people. And, and, and I've told you this before. You, you've, you've heard this. It sounds gross. But what they would do when they made a covenant is they would take an animal, they would kill it, they would split it in two, and they would take those two parts, put them uh, where they were facing each other, and then whoever was making a covenant with another human being, you would walk in between this animal that had been split in two, and you would say, the same thing happened to me that has happened to this animal if I break this covenant. Now, if we brought that back, isn't that significant? It's so important. It highlights how the power of verbal covenant with human beings was before God and before each other. Now, every single time I do a wedding and I lead people through premarital counseling, I keep asking for people to bring this back just one time. Let's just do it, all right? Let's take an animal people don't care about, like a raccoon or something, all right? We'll kill it, split it in two, make this covenant, and you probably won't break your covenant if you know the same thing might happen to you that has happened to this animal if we break it. In Genesis 15, though, God never asked Abraham to walk through this animal that had been split in two. Only God walked through it. Which tells you something about the heart of God. That not only is God willing to hold up his side of the covenant, God wants to hold up your side too. In Exodus chapter 34, at verse 6 and 7, God says something about himself. And what he says about himself is, I'm the God of compassion I am the God of forgiveness. I am the God of steadfast love, which is a God of covenant. That is something that is repeated throughout the rest of the Old Testament where people reflect back on what God said about himself. And even Jews today, if you've ever, how many of you have ever been to a Jewish wedding? Can I just see a show of hands? Anybody? We have any folks? Okay. If you've been to a Jewish wedding, they have this, this hoopah. You have all these traditions. You have a horn that will blow. And the traditions of a Jewish wedding, and if the, for those of you who didn't know this, you can reflect back on like 
what you remember in that wedding. But the traditions of a Jewish wedding come from Exodus chapter 19. Where in Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments, there are all these things that God had His people prepare themselves for in order to meet God on the mountain to hear the Ten Commandments. There was uh, something about being purified and for a few days, you washed all your clothes. You dressed in white. There was this cloud of God that came over the people. So today, there are Jews and some Christians who didn't know it. You were married under what is called a hoopah, like something of a cover that's there, and you step into it. There are all these other traditions of uh, Moses ushering his people up to the mountain, just like a father ushers a daughter down the aisle to, to meet the groom. And all these things happen. And what many Jews teach today is that even when it comes to the Ten Commandments, they are to be read as wedding vows. That God is reciting to His people and that God wants His people to recite to Him. Vows about only keeping yourself for God for the rest of your life. Vows about how you're going to be people who treat others with kindness and dignity. This is why you don't murder and you don't cheat on people and you don't, you don't covet stuff because you are confident in who God has created you to be. So covenant is something that carries its way itself through, through all of Scripture that God is inviting you into. And God is the one who invites. You don't invite God into covenant. God invites you. God initiates this covenant. Now part, part of the covenant God has invited us into throughout all of Scripture, part of how God's plan unfolds is that God uses water to accomplish His purposes. Think about how water functions throughout all of Scripture. Uh, and, and I don't know about you, I love being next to water. I, I don't always, always like being on water, but I like being next to it. There's something about running water that does something to me. When I go walk down by, by Mud Island, or I have a prayer time by a stream, or by a waterfall, or by the ocean, there is this connection with God through nature that really moves in my heart. Now, it also makes me have to use a restroom, right? You know, when you're next but, um, but in Genesis 1, before God started creating the world, water was there. It said that the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. God used water to purify the earth through the story of Noah. God uh, used water in Exodus 14 to, live, to deliver His people out of Egypt. You, when you think about the life of Jesus, think about all the things that Jesus did either on water or next to water, where He would teach, where He, would, he walked on water, He calmed the storm. There are all these things that happen next to water or on water or because of water, and God provided something called baptism. Now, um, God could have chosen any way to usher people into this covenant, but what God chose was a way where people would be fully immersed. As a way to say that you go under and everything you are is surrender to God. Now, in Acts chapter 2, when 3,000 people were baptized, those people had experienced baptism before. If you were a Jew, when you went into the temple, there was a good chance that you had would, you would been immersed. Now, it wasn't for the forgiveness of sins. It wasn't to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's because God had asked His people for years that when you come to a temple and you're coming for this encounter with God, you purify yourself and prepare yourself for whatever that's going to be like. So, will you go to that picture I have? There are these pictures from these baptistries from years ago, early Christianity. And, and some of you, maybe you've traveled over uh, and you've seen uh, some of these sites. And what, what a lot of these baptistries would have is an entrance and an exit. 
that you would enter into the water one way and you would exit the other way. And, and this wasn't just a, this it wasn't just something because there were you know, large groups of people being baptized at one time, though that would often happen. This was a theological statement. This was saying something about the covenant they're entering into with God, that they would go in one way and come out the other way as to say, the way I came into the water is not how I'm going back out. That what I am dying to, I am not going back to that way of life. I'm now going into this new direction with God. It's a new way, a new adventure, this fresh initiative. I've now been ushered into this movement with God and His kingdom. Now, there are other practices today, and some of these are happening throughout the world even today, as some churches meet, there are practices that have been going on for hundreds of years in which for some places, and I don't know of many of these in America, but some places, what will happen today when a candidate, when someone is baptized into Christ, is they get on their knees, and all these candidates, some, in some places today, there'll be pe- people like families and large groups who will get on their knees, and somebody will have them recite what would be like reciting vows. And before they say yes to Jesus, they say no to a few things. And they'll be asked to renounce a few things. They'll be asked to renounce Satan. They will be asked to renounce Satan's friends and servants. They will be asked to renounce their own pride. And they'll be asked to renounce the will they have for their life. And I think that is so cool. And I'm not saying we have to to bring it here, but what I love is the thought of before saying yes to Jesus, you're saying no to everything that keeps you from Jesus. I'm saying no to all of you because now I'm going in a new direction with Jesus. And some of these people even today are being baptized in parts of the world that they know that by being baptized, it may mean that they lose their life one day. But in the moment when they are being threatened or they know that their life is on the line and someone says, you denounce Jesus or I'm going to kill you, their response is, I've already died once. I died with Christ once. There's nothing you can do to keep me from living with him forever. Let me give you four things I want you to take home, reflect on, pray on, go and teach others, equip others. Four things about baptism that I want you to know. Number one is this. Baptism is God's initiation into covenant. In Romans chapter 6, and I just read verses 3 through 5, but you could go home and read the rest of Romans 6, or read Romans 6, 1 through 11. And and it talks, it, it uses language of being united with Christ in his death and being united with him in his resurrection. About being, that what God did for Jesus, God wants to do for us too. How God lifted Jesus out of a grave and brought him to life. It is what God does for us too. And, and Paul uses baptism to talk about this, this union, this, it's marriage language. That God is inviting us into this covenant. Now here's the thing with God. God does not, I don't think God minds dating people, like people who are kind of thinking and seeking and searching and asking questions about who God is. But God doesn't want to date people forever. God wants people to enter into a covenant with him that's meaningful. And we live in a time now where there are some folks who will date someone else for 10 years and then be engaged for four and then have a couple of kids and then maybe decide to get married one day. And you've got a culture now that is, they want all the benefits of what comes in marriage without ever entering into marriage. Now, when it comes to God, you have people who fill churches and who reflect on Christianity or 
just reflect on faith with God who want to date God for years and they want the benefits that come from God without ever entering into a covenant with God. And God invites us into, He initiates this covenant where there are blessings that come from it, but it's this relationship God is inviting people into. I want people to understand that with baptism and conversion and discipleship and how God is inviting us into something, you were not just saved from something, you were saved for something. You're not just saved from your sin, though we rejoice in that. You were saved into a new life. You were saved for relationship. You were saved for mission. You were saved for identity. You were saved for responsibility in the kingdom. Secondly, I want people to understand that baptism is an act of obedience. Jesus did it. The Bible commands it. And if God commands anything, I want to obey it. Now, what I taught in the baptism class that uh, I had earlier today, and what I want to teach you to is sometimes we hear the word obedience, and we uh, like sometimes our minds goes to legalism. Uh, that if you're requiring me to do something, we live in a world now where absolute truth is being questioned all the time, right? Whether good or bad. That we don't believe in absolute, some people don't believe in absolute truth anymore. So everything is questioned. So sometimes when we hear people give commands, it just comes across as harsh. But I don't want you to confuse obedience with legalism. Legalism is that you were trying to do something to earn your way into the presence of God. Or legalism is that you're taking truths and you're, you're stripping the heart from what that is supposed to be. Baptism is an act of obedience and God responds graciously to acts of obedience. In the early church, when people were baptized, the church would respond uh, in a few ways. Now, one, for many years, people were baptized naked, all right? Now, I'm not asking us to bring this back, all right? Uh, but it, it was this statement they would make of everything I am is going into this life with God. Everything I am. And when they came out of the water, they were given a few things. They were given a white robe to put on that would symbolize being clothed with Christ. In some places, they were given a spoonful of honey, representing how God was inviting them into a promised land, a new kind of promised land. Uh, in some places, they were given a glass of water to drink, symbolizing the Holy Spirit flowing and rushing into their life. And then years later, when the, the entire Bible was formed and shaped and put into a book, they were handed a Bible that they could take with them that the rest of their life they were going to stand on the promises of God. That it was this act of obedience, and through obedience, God responds graciously to acts of obedience. Number three, baptism is about transformation. Um, and this is, this is what I think is so important, that I think Jesus is in the waters of baptism inviting you People who have not been baptized, inviting you into the water. But what the whole church needs to understand is not only God in the waters inviting you in, He is out of the waters inviting you out of the waters of baptism to follow Jesus in everyday life. He both invites you in and He invites you out. Remember, in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, what I mentioned earlier is the direct object of the Great Commission isn't to be baptized. It is that you become a disciple of Jesus. And part of being a disciple is you are baptized into Christ and you're committing yourselves to the teachings of Jesus for the rest of your life. Now, sometimes we can get... Uh, what, what, what happens is people are baptized and they don't understand why a week later, why they're still struggling with the same things they were a week before or 10 years... 
<clears throat> 10 years later. And I think it's good for people to know that when you give your life to Jesus, you confess him as Lord and you're baptized, you're not automatically going to become a level 10 Christian. You're no lo- it's not an automatic thing where now you don't know your old way. It's this process of transformation and being made new and following Jesus wherever it is he has taken you and leading you. In baptism, we, are, we, we learn a few truths about grace that are so important. That grace is both forgiving and grace is transforming. And both are important. That if we ever emphasize grace is forgiveness to the exclusion of grace is transformation, what happens is that we, we, we enter into really sloppy living. Because we want the blood of Jesus to cover us for our sins, but we aren't we aren't living for a new kind of life that comes in knowing God. And if we ever emphasize transformation without emphasizing the power of being forgiven and released from sin, then we also enter in like this guilt-ridden life, which isn't what God intends either. It's about being forgiveness, forgiven and being transformed. The fourth thing I want you to take home, think about, pray on, go share with someone else, is that through baptism we are ushered into new allegiance, And it is a fresh mission. That for the rest of our lives, it's a new kind of allegiance, which no longer is Rome the Lord, or is Caesar Lord, or is America Lord, or anyone else. It's Jesus. He is our allegiance. He gives us a fresh mission, a new kind of mission to be on. It is not about formulas. It's not about getting the process right. Uh, one of my mentors said uh, there, were, there were years ago when he was, he had this, this husband who came to him and wanted to baptize his wife. They had been studying for a long time. And the guy came and said, talked to my mentor and said, but I've never baptized anyone. So my mentor went into the process of like how you baptize someone, which is kind of important, all right? Like, like how to cover a nose and how to tell people to, you know, bend their knees because it makes it so much easier to get them down and up. And he went through all these formulas in this whole process and what you say and what you make sure you don't say. And then his buddy got in the water and he he messed it all up. Because what he said when he got into the water is he looked at his wife and he said, why are you doing this? Which the question my mentor told him to ask is, all you need to say is, do you accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? And you let them say yes. And he got in and messed it all up by saying, why are you doing this? She responded with what her journey of coming to know Jesus was all about. And my mentor realized in the moment is it's not about getting all the formulas and the process right. It's what God has done and what he is doing. Now, I think it's important for all of us who have confessed Jesus as Lord and those of us who have been baptized for you to hear what I think is a strong word from God for you is that you live from your baptism. You stay close to the waters. There have been a few times I've baptized people and we've stood in the waters together and they have experienced this cleansing on them that they look at me, and this has only happened a couple of times, but they say, I don't want to leave this moment. Like I feel so connected with God and what I have done and what he has done in me right here in this water, I don't want to leave. In which your, your response can only be, you can stay here for a few moments, but if you stay here very long, Things are going to happen to your skin. You were not made to live in water forever. You live from this place. And you don't stray too far from it. Uh, this Wednesday, Casey and I will celebrate 14 years of marriage. 14, right? 14? Yeah. Uh, and there are times 
maybe once a year, maybe every 18 months or so, I'll say, Casey, what are some of the things I need to work on to become a better husband? And she'll say, I've been waiting for you to ask. Let me know. Just joking. Just joking. But we have wedding pictures in our house that we look at occasionally. And I think it's fine and it's good for us to talk about our wedding and remember some of those stories and to celebrate some of those memories, but it's not the only thing we need to talk about. When I'm with people doing premarital counseling, one thing I stress over and over and over again is don't spend the next six months or however long until you get married, don't spend all of this focusing on that 30-minute ceremony because I know it is so important, especially for women who've dreamed their whole lives about that day. I know it is so important, but you were preparing for a marriage, not a wedding ceremony. And even when it comes to Christianity, we can focus so much on events that we aren't focusing on the rest of our lives in a marriage and a relationship that we are called to live in. And I think it's good for us to know that how God acted through baptism and through conversion are ways that God still acts today. One thing I think that is important for us to remember is that the New Testament does not argue from baptism for baptism as much as it argues from it. The New Testament doesn't make a lot of arguments why you need to be baptized. The New Testament makes arguments that because you've been baptized, there's a certain kind of life you're called to live. And that does not diminish baptism as much as it elevates it. Because in Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Colossians 2 and Galatians 3 and 1 Peter 3 and these, and I could go on and I'm not trying to let you know how smart I am because I can remember places that talk about certain things in in the Bible. But in all these places that talk about baptism, outside of the book of Acts, they are not arguments for why people who haven't been baptized need to be baptized. They are reminders for those who have been baptized what kind of life you are called to live so that other people can see the fruit of God living in you. So in Romans 6, it's not this is why you need to be baptized, but because you have, you are called to a life of righteousness, and don't forget that. In 1 Corinthians 12, which was read to us earlier, it's not this is why you need to be baptized, but because you have. When churches go through some some issues that people are getting after each other, you need to remember that the waters of baptism are strong enough to hold you together through it all. Don't let it divide you. In Galatians 3, it's not this is why you need to be baptized, but because you have, remember, there's no longer in the eyes of God slave and free and rich and poor and black and white and Jew and Gentile. We have been ushered into this family together. So because we have been baptized, there's a certain way we're called to live and a certain way we're called to pray. I once had someone tell me they could not and they would not pray for Muslims. And my response was, if you've been baptized, you can't say stuff like that. Not if you've been buried with Christ. If you've been baptized, you can't go about your life thinking that those who are gay or struggling with their sexual orientation are animals or far from the care or the love of God. If you've been baptized, there's certain office gossip you can't engage in. There's a certain way of life you've been called to live because you have died with Christ, and you have been raised a new person. And now we are following the one in which John 1 says, Jesus, the one we are following, was full of truth, and he was full of grace. Not half truth and all grace, and not all grace or a little truth or all truth and just a little grace. He's full of truth and full of grace. So I want to end with a story, but before I do, we set up two tables today.
where they usually are, kind of right there in those middle sections, and they have markers on them. And, and on those, it just has raised with Christ. And in just a moment, I, as we sing a couple of songs, I'm inviting you to make your way to one of those tables. And I want you just to write out, we're about to sing a song, like, What the Lord Has Done in Me. And I'm just inviting you to go and write out a word or a phrase or a verse. Or maybe there's artists in the room and you feel like you just want to draw an image or a picture. I just want you to go there and place a word or a phrase of what your baptism has meant to you uh, in the past as you reflect on that. What are the words that come to mind, like freedom or liberty or, or what it, whatever it may be? I just want to give you space to go and write out like what the Lord has done in you through confession, through immersion. And if some of the shepherds and ministers may lead the way in a moment, I think that would be great. Uh, but there was, when I was 18... I may have been more evangelistic than at any point in my life. I just, man, I wanted to see people come to Jesus, and I still do, but not with the same zeal I did then. I remember coming back from a week of a mission trip, and, and the fire of God was just in my bones. And I witnessed over the, last, the next couple of weeks after that how God used the movie Aladdin to bring someone to Jesus. Now, this was a movie I had watched. I mean, it came out in the 90s. And I remember, I remember in high school one time, I was even, like, there was this girl I really liked. And I would, you know, we would, we would connect in hallways. And I took her on this one date. And at one point, I was, I'd already used all my Fresh Prince lines, you know, and, and all this. And, and as we were sitting there, I, I reached out my hand and I said, do you trust me? And she looked at me and she said, are you quoting Aladdin at me? <laughs> and let's just say that relationship didn't go very far, all right? Um, but you probably remember, if you've seen Aladdin, there's this scene where Aladdin is being chased by these guys, and he's about to jump out of a window, and Jasmine's there, and he reaches out his hand and says, do you trust me? And Jasmine looked at him, because Jasmine knew, you're about to jump out of a window, and I don't know what you're asking me to do. And he said it again, do you trust me? And she grabs his hand, they jump out the window, which is like three or four stories high, and they, and they, they escape the enemy. So I was on this bus, I was in the very back, and I was praying to God, God, who on this bus doesn't know who Jesus is, and I want to tell him before this trip is over. And it was like the light of God just shone on this one person on our trip. And he was this kid who was coming back with us for two weeks. He lived in the place where we were doing a mission trip, and he was coming back to hang out with our youth group. And... And I remember thinking to myself, God, anybody but him. Because this kid was angry at the world. His parents had gone through a divorce. He was, he was deaf, yet his, with his hearing aids, he could, he could hear. But he was, man, he was that kid that nobody wanted to be around. He was just angry. And I remember just, like, God, can you send someone else to go and talk to him? Because I just don't know if this is for me. Yet I continued to, for the next few days would try to reach out to him, and nothing was working. And a week and a half later, the family he was staying with invited me to come and have dinner with him. And I remember I sat down at that table, and I had my Bible open, and I was reading through scriptures and talking about Jesus and asking questions. Nothing was working. And I looked over at the TV, and I saw the movie Aladdin sitting up there. I was like, man, did y'all watch Aladdin last night? And it, it, Yeah, we watched Aladdin. And I brought up that scene. I said, do you remember that story? I mean, that scene in the story where 
Aladdin asked Jasmine to take his hand, and, she, and he asked, does she trust him? He said, maybe that's what God is doing to you today. And this kid just started to cry. And as we continue to talk, what had happened in his life, he, because of some of the events in his life, he did not trust anyone. He didn't trust his parents. He didn't trust the church he was a part of. He didn't trust anybody. He did not even trust God. In the next couple of days, we talked, and I remember baptizing him that night, and there have been a few of these when I baptize people, and they come out of the water, and, and they are screaming and yelling, and they're so excited. And at the time, I was in a church where you just didn't do stuff like that. Like, you don't get too excited about Jesus, you know? And this kid was so excited about this encounter he had with God. And today, there may be someone in the room in which Jesus is in the waters of baptism, and he's reaching out his hand, and he's asking you to trust him and to come in and to take the plunge. And for others, I think the hand of God is outside of the waters of baptism, reaching to us, saying, do you trust me? Let's go. Let's keep going in life. Let's keep moving. Don't be taken down by fear and manipulation and worry and anxiety. And the hand of God is asking you to trust him to keep moving through life. I want us to stand together. We're going to sing a couple of songs. We have shepherds in the front, shepherds in the back. We have women to receive you for prayer. If there's anything we can do for you, take advantage of these places. I invite you to go to one of the tables and just write out what the Lord has done for you. Put a word, a phrase. Feel free to draw something. Uh, It's just a space for you to connect with God. Let's sing together.